Now we're turning this morning in our Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and we're going to read from verse 15 right through to chapter 3 verse 5. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 15 for those who have just joined us. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Reading, of course, from the authorized version. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God even our Father, which have loved us and have given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you that ye may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you, that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God, and into the patient waiting of Christ. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. My text this morning is taken from 2 Thessalonians and chapter 3 and verse 1. It reads, Finally, brethren, pray for us, that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Now, I've entitled the theme for today, Praying for the Men and the Message of the Gospel. This morning, I want to say, Lord, bless all the missionaries of the Gospel and the message of the cross. Now it's lovely of course to hear the children pray their bedtime prayers and when they often say their bedtime prayers they uh, often in their innocence offer such prayers as God bless mommy and God bless daddy and God bless John and Jimmy and God bless um, Jane and Judith they, they name them uh, God bless the uh, minister um, God bless all the missionaries. Amen. Now, now, it's wonderful. And I believe that God hears the prayers of the children. And these prayers that we're going to call blanket prayers are okay. They might be short and specific individual requests, but they are blanket prayers. And they're asking God's blessing on these individuals and on groups of individuals. Now, if you look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, the Paul is making what I'm calling an overall blanket request. If you look at verse 1, he says, Finally, brethren, pray for us. 
And then he gives us three specific reasons that we can pray for the men and the message of the gospel. One, pray that the word of the Lord may have free course. Two, that the word of the Lord would be glorified as it runs into the hearts and minds of men and women. Just like it did in the hearts and lives of the Thessalonians. Three, that the Thessalonians, as the Lord's people, would stand strong in the spiritual battle. That they would rely on God's faithfulness. Why? For all men have not faith. That you would be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. You see, Paul knew that the born-again believer in Thessalonica would face opposition, would face intense persecution. He was also fully aware of the presence and power of false teachers whose teaching was spiritually damaging the church. And so having exhorted them to stand firm, he directs them to focus on praying for the men of the gospel and for the message of the cross. These men need protection and help from these unreasonable and evil men. And as I thought of this text, which could easily be another motto text following on from last week, I want to open it up a little bit. I want to break it into component constituent parts, and I want us to learn the following things. One, the prayer requested is sincere. Look at the words. Finally, brethren, pray for us. The word finally means last of all. Well, it can mean that. But it also can mean in addition to. In other words, Paul is saying, I have said a lot of things. But here's another thing. Or or here's one more thing. Finally, brethren. You see, he's addressing those who are born again. Those who are genuinely converted to Christ. Brothers and sisters in the family of God. Who have God as their heavenly father. Who have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Who are indwelt. Uh, uh, and born again by the Holy Spirit. And it's to these individuals that Paul makes this prayer request. And I believe this prayer request is sincerely meant. Brethren, pray for us. He repeated that. If you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 25, he says, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 25, Brethren, pray for us. Now, this is the second time he made this request, and two is the number of witness. And the Apostle Paul is asking for prayer for himself, us, includes him, but it includes the men with him, Silas and Timotheus and others. They're involved in the, the work of the Lord. Now, I want you to notice specifically, he's requesting prayer, first of all, that's personal. Brethren, pray for us. It includes himself. Now, Paul's a great man, a man with tremendous ability, an intellectual giant, a powerful leader, a man who knows the Lord, a man who knows the book, a man who's gripped with the gospel, a man of courage and tenacity, a good man, one that's true and stout-hearted to the cause of Christ, a man of tremendous zeal, holiness, vision, energy, a man of prayer. And yet he knows in his heart then he cannot do without the prayers of others. To me, that's real and amazing. Paul is a real, wonderful, amazing man of God. 
And yet in humility and honesty, he asks others to pray for him. It's like he's saying, remember me in prayer. I don't believe it was a false humility. This man realizes that he needs personal help. He needs help of the Lord. He knows that if the Lord doesn't help him and intervene and bless, then all Paul had attempted to do, all his efforts would be in vain. You see, it's the spirit that quickeneth. It's the spirit that gives life. And true godliness does not lie in a man's ability. True godliness is rooted in total dependence on the Lord and the spirit of the Lord to work and to bless. So this is a very personal prayer. It's also, I believe, a powerful request. Notice the word pray. He knows the power of prayer. Divine blessing and help only comes as we pray. Someone has rightly said we can do nothing without prayer. You see, the Lord only blesses and helps and grants assistance as we pray. He only blesses and helps and grants assistance to us in direct proportion in regard to true prayer. Even though the Apostle Paul was a great apostle, and even though the Thessalonians are just new converts, Paul needed their prayers. He, 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 he didn't, as it were, rest on past gifts. He didn't rest on past successes. He knew that he had to depend on the Lord to bless and the Lord bless through prayer. So this is a powerful request. Isn't it so sad? It's sinful. There's a lot of half-hearted praying today in relation to the work of God. Believers, sadly, who pray in unbelief. And they've forgotten. No prayer, no blessing. Little prayer, little blessing, much prayer, much blessing. That's what Andrew Murray stood for in South Africa, a great revivalist. You see, the more we pray, the more God will bless. That's a biblical principle. God's blessing and help only comes in answer to prayer. If I could use a biblical illustration in 2 Kings chapter 13, we read about King Joash. Elisha the prophet had come into his room. He, he told him to take his bow and his quiver of arrows. He talked about the arrows of the Lord's deliverance. And he said to Joash, the Lord is able to give and grant you total victory. And by way of opportunity to express your belief in this total victory and seize hold of the promise, I want you to shoot a number of arrows out your window. How many did Joash shoot? He only shot three. He stopped at three. He should have emptied the quiver of six or seven, but he didn't. No, he only stopped at three. And what did King Joash get against the enemy? He got a partial victory. Why did he only shoot three? Because he was only half-hearted. He didn't fully believe in the um, need and the power of, of God himself. His heart was not fully in it, and he only received a partial victory. And this year, 2023, I want 
myself, and I want you to learn the lesson, that the more we pray, the more we will receive the blessing of God's divine intervention and help. Rooted, of course, in his sovereign grace and mercy. You see, we need to get our eyes on God's ability, on God's sovereignty, on God's power, on God's authority. The prayer meeting is the powerhouse of the church. We were talking at the week of prayer about the church gathering for prayer. And the church that gathers for prayer is the true church of Jesus Christ. Yet so often when we gather for prayer, we're half-hearted. We, we, we don't take the word of God seriously. We read these wonderful promises, but we don't take them seriously. We don't trust them sufficiently. And we engage in a little bit of prayer. We're like the children, a blanket prayer. Lord, bless the missionaries. Lord, bless the minister. Lord, bless the church. Lord, bless the families. Now, that's good as far as it goes, but we need to go further. We need to go deeper. We need to launch out into the deep this year in relation to prayer and rediscover the power of prayer. I'm going to read again a book written by E.M. Bounds that was lent to me by Brother Ryan. It's eight volumes bound in one. It's a tremendous work on prayer. And we need to rediscover, yes, there's a personal request to prayer, but there's also a powerful request, the word pray. Oh, that we could understand that word. Praise our God. Remission of our sins. Ask for specific things. Yield ourselves to him, because that's what the word pray means. Could I tell you something else as a practical aspect to this request? If you think of the word brethren, brethren, pray for us. Did Paul not pray for himself? Yes. The prayers of Paul are found in the Bible. One such wonderful prayer is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. I encourage you to read it. Study it. Pray it for yourself. Make it your own prayer. And that's only one such prayer recorded of Paul in the Bible. So he did pray for himself. But twice he makes this request, brethren, pray for us. He's asking for the prayers of the people in Thessalonica. Now the people in Thessalonica, he was in Corinth, they're just newly converted. So they're ordinary Christians. New converts, men, women, young people, boys and girls. And it's as if Paul is saying, I'm dependent on you people to pray for me. And as you pray, you'll share in my work. And you'll bring my burdens and needs before the Lord. And you'll remember my ministry as I go forth to spread the word of God and teach the gospel. Is that not great encouragement? Ordinary prayers do count. The prayers of the children. The prayers of the young people. The prayers of the mummy in the kitchen at the sink. Or hanging out the washing. The prayers of the laborer in the field or in the factory. Lord, bless me today and my family. Lord, bless the house of God, the work of God. You see... Your prayers do count. 
And I earnestly crave your prayers for me and my family and the work of God here. We should treasure the prayers of one another. We should pray for one another. And I attempt to do that. On a Sunday morning, we've got the prayer of adoration. And then just before the offering or after the offering, we've got the prayer of intercession, including thanksgiving for the offering. And that's very important that we remember and name names before the Lord one after another, not just in a Wednesday night, but but in a Sunday morning as part of our worship service. Because the command of the scripture is, brethren, pray for us. Now that's the prayer request sincere. Notice if you look at our text, the practical reasons that is significant. And he gives three reasons. Here's the first reason. That the word of the Lord may have free course. The word that is a demonstrative. If he makes a request, here's the reason for the request, the chief reason. And notice the reason that he gives. It describes the gospel. That the word of the Lord may have free course. Here's the specific special matter that he has in mind. The word of the Lord is a reference to the gospel. I want you to notice what it's called, the word of the Lord. What does that mean? Of the Lord, it means God is the author of the word. God's the producer. The gospel comes from the Lord. It's not a message that Paul made up. It's not a message that other men concocted together. It's not something out of books or out of a university or out of some particular library. No, it's the word of the Lord. He's the author and the producer and the maker of that word. In fact, he calls it in Romans chapter 1, the gospel of God, because it originates with him. The gospel didn't originate with man. It's the gospel of God. If you also think about the word of the Lord, it's not only the word of the Lord, but it's a word about the Lord. You see, this message, this word of the Lord, centers on God's eternal Son, the eternal Lord of glory, our Lord Jesus Christ. He came to earth, his incarnation, virgin birth. He took on him human flesh, a real true humanity. He was born in the fullness of time. He lived a sinless life. He died an atoning death in the cross, bearing the guilt and punishment of all uh, who would trust him as Lord and Savior, bearing the guilt and punishment that our sins deserved. He died. He shed his blood. Uh, And we can come to God on the ground of the finished work, a substitutionary blood atonement. Hebrews 10 and 12. But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God. And on the cross, as he shed his blood, he satisfied divine justice. Do you see him today as your prophet? The one to teach and tell you the way of salvation? Do you see him as your priest? The one who offered a once and for all sacrifice in your behalf? The one who now lives in the power of an endless life? making intercession for you? Do you see him as your king? On the ground of the finished work, he now rules over us. He's a king of grace, a king of glory, a king of peace, a king of righteousness, the one who has power to subdue our enemies, 
And as prophet, priest, and king, God raised him from the dead. And he now lives in heaven at God's right hand in the power of an endless life. And one day he's going to return to this earth and rule and reign in glory. So when Paul talks about the word of the Lord, he's talking about the word about the Lord. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel message centers on him. And I'm saying this morning this, beware of substitutes. Beware of counterfeits. Sometimes you'll get a knock on the door, you'll open it and there's two men there and they'll tell you they're from the Church of the Latter-day Saints. Or they'll put literature through the door from the same so-called church. It might be notification about the Seventh-day Adventist movement. It, it, it might even be about um, the Jehovah Witnesses. It, it might even be information about uh, some new novel extreme Pentecostal church that's emerging. The emerging church is flourishing. Don't like this church, we'll go down the road and we'll start a new church. And then we'll claim that there's been a miracle. Somebody's been raised from the dead. Uh, somebody who's blind is made to see. The, the, the lame have walked as in the days of Jesus. But, but you investigate and then you discover, oh, it's not all about Christ. It's not Christ-centered. And as you pray a bit more, you discover, well, it's nothing to do with the true gospel. It's not the word of the Lord that's all about him and him alone. You see, the true gospel is not a perversion. You see, I hear today this call, believe in Jesus, and Jesus will make you healthy and wealthy like a billionaire or a millionaire. Believe in Jesus and be baptized. As if baptism was the, the gateway into God's heaven. Believe in Jesus and add your good works to that belief. It's a word about him. And him alone exclusively. As the only ground of salvation. Acts 4 and 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And I'll tell you something else. It's a word for him. It's called the word. Now, do you see that? That the word of the Lord. The word. That takes us back to God's eternity. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Ghost in the trinity of their persons before time began, before the word was made, entered into a covenant they agreed a covenant. It's called the covenant of redemption. And part of that covenant between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit involved promises that were made by the Father and the Spirit to Christ as a reward for his, his coming into the world and his life of full obedience and accomplishing a full redemption. And Christ was promised a people for his own inheritance, a people who would be with him in heaven one day where he is. A people that would form the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the household of faith. I want to ask this. Are you one of his people? Have you the hope and the assurance that one day you'll be with Christ where he is in heaven? Are you one of the brothers in Christ? Are you one of the sisters? You see, this is all part of this meaning the word of the Lord. It's a word of the Lord. It's a word about the Lord. And it's a word for the Lord. 
Notice not only the gospel described, but notice the gospel distributed. It says here in our text, the word of the Lord may have free course. Now, what does that mean? I want you to think of a runner. And he's got an open road in front of him. And there's no obstacles. There's nothing to impede his progress. And it's as if the gospel had got legs and it was running into hearts and minds. Those that are dead in sin, those that are darkened in sin with no thought, fear of God. Those who are diseased in their affections, who have no real love for God. And you've got to think of the gospel's rapid progress in the first century. And that prayer that the gospel, the word of the Lord, may have free course and be glorified, it was answered in Paul's day. The whole of Asia heard the word of the Lord. The whole of Asia was turned upside down for Jesus Christ. But even in that day, there was those who were bent on impeding the gospel progress. And even as the gospel was distributed... And spread abroad, there was those rose up by the evil one to oppose it. And what is true then is true now. The 21st century, we have plenty to impose and impede the gospel progress. Let me illustrate. I want you to think of homes and carried off. Fathers and mothers. They say to the children in regard to Sunday school, no Sunday school. Don't name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in this house. There'll be no Bible here. You'll, you'll not be going to the children. Now, these are good parents, by and large. They feed their children. They clothe them. They, they educate them as far as school is concerned, filling their minds with information. And, and they see to it that they have recreational activities. Yet loads of parents starve and deprive the children from hearing the simplicity of the gospel, that Jesus loves them, that Jesus died to save them, that Jesus calls them to, to come unto him. So many godless and heedless mummies and daddies. And they visit that godlessness and that heedlessness upon the hearts and minds and lives of the children. I heard a story recently of a man of the house told his wife and children they couldn't get to the house of God, but they were receiving CDs. They'd got a copy of the Bible. They got other literature to do Bible studies. They were listening online. And this man told them, there'll be no religion here. There'll be no Bibles or Jesus in this house. You see, he's a guilty man. What's he guilty of? Impeding the progress of the gospel. So many young people in their teens, through school, university, they go into the workplace. And, and there's those that will poke fun at them. You're a Christian. Oh, I, right. You can't be serious, are you? You go to the free Presbyterian church, but see, they're a bunch of bigots. They're narrow-minded. You, you need to be a bit more free-spirited. You, you, you need to, to, to wise up. And you see, the fear of man comes, because the fear of man brings a snare. And, and peer pressure. And wanting to be popular, and, and wanting to be part of a group, and feeling a part of community. And, and then they, they, they leave off with the Word of God, and the Christ of God, and the house of God. What about University. Godless professors, educated men, intelligent men. No God and no grace about them. No gospel and they urge you to read the philosophies of Plato and Aristotle and others. And they, they want you to take on their views and, and adopt their lifestyle. 
But they're not based in the word of God. They have a different worldview, even the modern philosophies. And they're destroying the lives of many. I know it's okay to go into a drink culture or, or a drug culture or, 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 or uh, 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 adopt a, a, a party, pleasure, hedonistic lifestyle. But these young people, these young people's souls are being destroyed and murdered at the hands of these godless professors. What about professing Christians? With their lips they say they love the Lord. They've asked him to be their Lord and Savior. Yet their lifestyle doesn't match up. They're hypocrites in the eyes of many others. And that's a big obstacle to some. And if you love the Lord Jesus, then let's love him in truth. Let's love him in deed. What about men in the pulpit? You'll get woolly waffle. You'll get morality. You're told to be good, but it's devoid of any call to repent of your sin. It's devoid of a call that remission of sin is necessary to enter heaven. And without the blood, there's no remission of sin. And there's no call to redemption on the ground of the Savior's blood. And faith in Christ. And a call to be born again. You're not going to hear that. It's absent from mainstream churches. And there's not a squeak about the moral evils and ills of today. And yet the wonderful thing is this. That God can open doors despite the obstacles. God can make a way where there isn't a way. I think of Nepal. 1960s it was closed. Radio ministry came. And now there's 110 free Presbyterian churches in Nepal. I think of Muslim countries like Iran and Iraq and Bibles are being distributed in those countries and they're, they're being read, they're being studied and, and people have got converted from a Muslim background. You see, the word of the Lord is not brown. The word of the Lord has free course and those who attempt to hinder the progress and where there's many and the devil is busy and they put up barriers here and there and at times, yes, it feels impossible but when it feels impossible, don't quit. Don't give up. What we need to do? Supplicate God's throne. Be strong. Be steadfast, unmovable in the work of the Lord. Pray on. Pray through. Because people need to hear it. People need the Holy Ghost to work. People need the Holy Ghost to apply the word of truth that they might be brought to faith in Christ. The gospel described. The gospel distributed. The gospel dignified. Notice the words. And be glorified. Isn't that tremendous? You see, as the gospel runs forth here and there, here's the character of the gospel. It brings honor and glory to the Lord. He's not only the God of peace and the God of hope and the God of peace, but he's the God of truth. And he's revealed his word. The Bible talks about the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul says in Corinth. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and the verse 4. Listen to these words. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. This the light of the glorious gospel of Christ is the image of God should shine unto them. That's what I'm talking about. Impeding the progress of the gospel. Blinding the minds of those that believe not. And yet this message 
is the glorious gospel of Christ. It's part of change, part of transformed lives. It was this message that turned the ancient world upside down. It was this message that Paul advised um, Titus whenever he wrote in uh, Titus chapter 2 and verse 10. He says, um, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Adorning the doctrine of God, adorning the gospel. And that word adorn has to do with beautifying yourself. You think of a girl going out on a date, what does she do? She beautifies herself. Think of a bride getting married on that wedding day. She, she beautifies herself, puts on the best attire. Well, well, that's what that word adorn means. And we're to do that with the gospel. Be beautified by the gospel. Paul adds, even as it is with you. Notice thirdly and lastly, for we've got communion this morning, the powerful results that is special. He says here, if you look back at our text, even as it is with you. Do you understand that? Can you grasp that this morning? Even as it is with you. It's important. Because he was thinking about those in Thessalonica. He was thinking about the place, Thessalonica. He was thinking about the people, new converts. And it was easy in Thessalonica. The word of God had run into their hearts and minds. These Thessalonians were adorning the gospel. They had been beautified by the gospel. Their lives had been changed and transformed. There was a difference now. The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, as a new creature, old things have passed away, and all things have become new, and all things are of God. Now, I've already told you, Paul was in Corinth whenever he wrote to the church at Thessalonica. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 18. He says this about himself, thinking of Corinth. Acts chapter 18, verse 9 and 10. And with this we finish. Then speak the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set in thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. Verse 11. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. You see, at that time, Paul wasn't discouraged. It was the night time. Paul was depressed. He was despairing. This is a, a city given over to idolatry. And what am I going to do, Lord? I feel like quitting. I, I want to leave this place. I, I want to go home. And the Lord comes. And the Lord tells him, besides other things, I have much people in this city. And he stayed 18 months. And he saw many converts. And a great church that was raised up. Well, could I tell you that he wrote to the Thessalonians before he wrote 1 and 2 Corinthians? And I believe that the Lord had answered the prayers of the Thessalonians. It was not a waste of time for Paul to pray. It was not a waste of time for Paul to encourage others to pray. Because there was the powerful result that is special, even as it is with you. The word of God had come to them. And here was part of that word, brethren, pray for us. And they gave themselves to prayer. And I say this as we finish this morning. We can all do this. If you're converted to Christ and you love the Lord Jesus, then you can pray at home. You can pray in the prayer meeting. We must pray on. We, we are a praying people, but we must pray on. We must pray up 
and on and don't give up. We must not slacken. Do not think that your prayers are not needed. If I could say this morning as we finish, brethren, pray for us. What are you going to pray for this year? For souls to be saved. Souls were saved last year, but we need souls saved this year. We need new families brought in and and these pews filled up again. We lost 10 individuals last year. We can't afford to lose 10 more this year. We need 10 to be brought in and more. We need our own families converted. Pray for mine. Pray that the Lord will help us to be faithful to the blood in the book. Pray the Lord will help in the children's ministry, the Sunday school, the children's ministry. And when you come into the house of God to pray, you know, it's not complicated. Think of the children as we finish, the blanket prayers. Lord, bless the church. Lord, bless the Sunday school. Bless the children's ministry. Lord, bless that family. Bless this soul. That's what you need to pray. Specific individual prayers that God would do this. Because much prayer results in much blessing. I pray this morning that we will get a hold of this thought and that the Lord will encourage us as we go forward this year.